Kia ora e te and welcome to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. Join us as we delve into personal stories about inspirational career journeys for people in design and construction, as you too build your own story. Welcome to the High Performer Building. Um, so today we're going to be talking about your journeys, your individual journeys in the construction industry. And um, I guess where I'd like to start probably is with Joe, um, because we know each other and I know you've had a, quite an impressive and amazing journey. Um, I'm interested to know where you are right now and, and also where you started. Um, and then Nick, we're going to talk about your journey as well and sure. some of the work you've done for Calmar, which sounds pretty impressive. So. Joe, how did it all start and um, and were you deliberate about sitting out into the construction industry or was there some other plan we had when you were younger? There was always a plan, um, to say kia ora and uh, Nick, we couldn't be more different actually, so this is going to be interesting. Uh, I always wanted to be an architect, so uh, I took up tech drawing in fifth form, having not done it in third and fourth form, and I'm talking very old language here, so I always wanted to be an architect, so uh, that's what I started studying towards, but unfortunately uh, had my daughter, very good... Uh, <laughs> period in life but I fell pregnant with my daughter in my last year so um, and had bought a house luckily enough I worked in bars at university so uh, saved money instead of spending money and Mm. bought a house so I got stuck with a child (laughs) and a mortgage to pay so it kind of forced my hand and I was just putting the paper home uh, one day and it just folded on this ad for an industry supplier looking for a technical sales rep as such with an NZCD or similar so I just randomly put my name in the hat and, and got a job mm-hmm. uh, for a supplier in the industry. I won't say which one, but um, it was fantastic. Uh, it's not where I thought I would be, uh, but a company car at the time and a reasonable wow. salary compared to being a graduate architect, as you know, uh, was kind of what drove me more. But at least I was in the industry and thought of using what I studied uh, to some advantage. That's interesting. It's sort of like a bit of fate popping into mm. the situation there. I had a similar experience where mm. I kind of woke up one morning and heard uh, radio advertisement for architecture mm. studies and I decided that was a sign and I that's how I actually started in architecture mm. it's, it's completely random yeah so at that time um, you so you're engaging with the industry you've, you've come in from a technical sales perspective mm. what did you find what what about that industry has kind of kept you in that space for for, you know, for so long obviously up until recently with, with FM but mm. um, what did you find about it that was uh, that was compelling to you I think the people, and I think my first job I had, I was really surprised, like the support as a young woman. I think people fell off the back of their chairs when I walked in the door mm. um, in the role that people were used to hiring uh, builders that wanted to get off the tools right. um, and the like. So it was a little bit hard to start off with and challenging. I really had to prove myself, uh, but the support that I had from a number of people, um, once you got over that, oh, you only do a good job because people want to see you because you're a woman and you're a bit different kind of routine. So once I got over that and mm. proved myself technically, the respect and support I had from you know a lot of men around me um, was great. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been very lucky. Um, I've always been shoulder tapped for jobs, uh, yeah. right for wrong feet. Sometimes I sit back and I go, what do I want to do? What do I want to create? But I think there's a lot to be said for sort of going with with stuff that falls in your lap a little bit. Mm. Some people would disagree with that, but I, I really think that my career has been shaped by. Uh, sort of going with what falls in front of me sometimes. But you've worked hard for it, you know, I, I like to think I work hard yeah. and uh, prove myself. 
and yeah, and things that are coming your way as a reward for that. So. Maybe it's a case of opportunity knocking and mm. just being prepared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I lived overseas for a couple of years, and I came home just because a, a girlfriend of mine had said, "Oh, Joe, look at this role. It'd be great for you." It was a more development. It was a mixture of uh, sort of tech development. Um, and sort of a marketing role yeah. uh, in a big industry supplier, uh, which was fantastic. I loved the role. It just put me in touch with every aspect of the industry, yeah. trialling product and uh, really feeling involved. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Nick, com- completely different pathway um, and with respect to you're now working in construction for Kalmar. Why did you decide to go into construction? Was this something you had planned all along? Was, was your family involved? How did you know about this? What did you know about it? No, to be... To be honest, at school I was completely unsure exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, I was very sporty at school, so like going into something with sport was always something that intrigued me and I wanted to potentially do. Yeah. Um, but then through aptitude testing um, at school, um, they said, why don't you go into the construction industry, you're hands-on, you're practical, etc., etc. Um, and that really drove me to think, oh, okay, maybe this is an industry, it's an interesting industry. Um, it's a forever growing industry, let's give it a shot. So um, finished my final exams in matric, uh, as we call it in South Africa, <laughs> and then um, got into a BSc in construction studies um, for Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University and just continued my journey there. And then during my honours year, started applying for jobs overseas and stumbled upon Kalmar Construction through a dad, one of my dad's friends who moved to New Zealand a couple of years mm. beforehand. Mm and he put me in touch with them and had an interview an online interview and woke up the next morning with a job offer and since then have never really looked back mm. um, and i've been for the cup with the company now just over six years and it's been a fantastic company to work for and my career progression has been fantastic the support that i've gotten gotten from everyone around me has just been great so mm. no it's been it's been fun. <laughs> so you, you mentioned support. I think um, one one thing we we know is that having people you can look up to, having mentors around you, and, and having you know, I guess because we're all learning. And my my background, um, a bit like Joe, is in architecture, and so you, you come into a practice and you start to work with people and start to figure out your pathway. Um, what about what you're doing now? Do you, can you see a pathway for yourself? Can you see uh, where you want to be in five years? What what kind of appeals to you right now? Yeah, so obviously I'm I'm in a project management role at the moment. Um, I've been a project manager for the past three years. Mm. Um, Started on a fairly small project um, and as the years have gone by, I've moved up um, onto bigger and larger projects, um, obviously pushing my boundaries and I'm an ambitious person so I want to achieve success through the the mentoring ship from like the directors and from contracts managers and that I can see myself moving into a contracts management role uh, where you're overseeing multiple projects and assisting project managers in that in that space and really trying to develop them into to better PMs and and going from there so Joe um Tell us what you're doing right now because I know it's a, a very interesting role and something you're very passionate about and I, I know you're speaking at an upcoming NZOB event. What's, what's your current role now and, and what does that look like on a, on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> Good question. I don't think I know what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. Every day is different. Uh, so yeah, about just under a year ago, I took on the role as the CEO of the Facility Managers Association. Mm-hmm. So I had spent uh, 
three years at the Green Building Council in the non-for-profit space yeah. uh, and then uh, at the Institute for Architects as well, uh, Te Kahui Whaihanga, and then decided, uh, you know, from if I'm going to turn up for work every day, now my daughter's grown up, she's 30, that mm. I might as well do the best I can, so I thought maybe I'd go back into supply chain. So I did go back into supply chain for a couple of years before I the former CEO of Ethmans tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I'm leaving. I think you'd be really good in this role. Mm. Um, and I can't believe I undenied about it for so long, to be honest. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because um, I, I think of FM and I think mm. of, um, well, lots of different things. Mm. I think of asset management. I think mm. about maintenance, of course. But I also start to think about innovative technologies like network sensing and and all those kind of things so it must be quite an interesting time to be involved yeah it's super fascinating it's more interesting you know you scratch behind the surface of the gym and what goes on behind those buildings yeah it's pretty phenomenal yeah and i've done some fantastic behind the scenes tours of some of the buildings the the med school um, and the stuff that they're protecting the back end uh, i think i'm allowed to say three and a half thousand animals that have to be kept between 18 and 21 degrees whereas international researchers mill and boyd massive slabs of cobalt um, you know spark arena and their uh, incident response you know they've got fire and emergency 90 seconds away um, should something happen um, they've got a packed venue there it's the scope of facilities is huge um, and it's been great meeting uh, different people particularly the younger people coming through um, yeah. that have come out of uh, different degrees and have come into facilities and really loving it just because they do they turn up every day every day is different um, operational carbon of buildings is really important uh, moving forward uh, as well and of course COVID and, and the IEQ the indoor air quality stuff mm. um, is really driving the professionalism of the industry as well. So. I think that's really, really interesting. I think there's been a few side effects of, of COVID and that's what IEQ is, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, um, you know, Nick, from your perspective, you're at the front end, you're making these buildings, you're putting them together, you're coordinating a whole lot of material and, and, and trades and all that kind of thing. That kind of visibility over the, over the life of the building beyond construction, like what do you think about that? My general sense is that people in construction are becoming far more holistic in their thinking. What do you think about the building beyond construction? Yeah, well, obviously the, the lifespan of buildings has obviously increased now, and that's as per like the specifications that get documented, mm. and it's it's done that way, so I guess the building's longevity is, is there. A lot more engineers and that will get uh, scrutinizing details and, and specs a lot more, um, so that they ensure that that longevity is there and everything goes together properly, mm. so that um, the building's life cycle is intact mm. we're definitely going in the right direction um, it's just obviously getting everyone's buy-in to that that new way and which takes time but I think eventually we will get there um, because obviously people are used to or they're setting their ways on yeah. how, they, how they do things and on a day-to-day basis and it's really just building that that new culture and, and way of thinking Joe, I think on that, um, I imagine that you are pushing clients uh, and consultants and design teams to think about the life of the building beyond construction. Yes. So that means probably future-proofing. It probably means more front-end investment. Um, what kind of things are you able to kind of, you know, are you able to talk about low carbon? Are you able to talk about, talk about IAQ, things like well, all those kind of things? I mean, you're probably getting a, a quite a bit of evidence now to be able to justify better front-end investment. There is, but there's still a lack of evidence as well. And yeah. I think that's problem. I was just on a call earlier with a group of people, including uh, Defence, and they're just saying that life cycle cost 
information just isn't there. And even from a digital perspective, um, you know, the investment in, in BIM and digital twin technology right up front that the client has to pay for, mm. um, we don't have the business case there that people are investing in the right things that are going to be good down the track to make better decisions on buildings. Yeah. I do think we've got a long way to go there, but we're heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, it'd be great to see some change there. Mm. Yeah, and it's not fair on the construction company. Yeah, well. because we're yeah. obviously tendering yeah. jobs that yeah. there's obviously a certain budget yeah. for, and it's usually the, the lowest price that mm. wins. So yeah. um, it's not, we could obviously put all these innovative ideas in place, but at the end of the day, if there's no funding for it, then yeah. where are you going to go with it? Yeah, because I think um, things like you know, the technology around surveying and, and, and things like that. So, for example, I you know, talked about sensing networks mm. before. There are things you can install and give you the information that you need when you're constructing um, and I guess that's going to become more and more you know more and more important as we go uh, things like moisture sensors for example obviously you know construction happens outside most of the time and and I imagine you know um, in you cyclones know, <laughs> in cyclones unfortunately and so I think that you know the idea of, of care of that of that asset during unpredictable kind of situations is probably top of your mind a lot of the time. I mean, I can imagine you come to the site, it's been raining, I mean, the first thing you want to do is go and protect that asset. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see with Joe's side looking at the, the building, you know, the, those digital tools, yeah, just extending back down into that construction phase and even back down to the design phase. Um, Joe, in terms of policy, well, I guess, I guess the thing I would like to say is you work with a team and you've got younger people in your team and um, and I guess the idea is that the FM, the facilities management space is growing. What do you think the opportunities are there for younger people coming on and what are you what are you looking for um, for people to come into the industry? I think the possibilities are limitless. Like I said, the scope of facilities is just so large. Mm. You know, you can look at the asset space, the, the engineering space, so it depends, you know bring people through and let them see each side of the industry and work out which part of facilities um, inspires them the most yeah um as well yeah um yeah it's just limitless just because facilities is on the rise you know new zealand we're still fairly uh, immature as a industry i yeah. think compared to europe in particular um it's really really strong in this space so so who do you look to for exemplars when you're thinking about where you're going in the future is it offshore? Is it? Is there a particular kind of approach, or is there something you're borrowing for another industry and to, and bring it into to some of the thinking you're doing? Oh, we work closely with Australia, of course, under the Trans Tasman Facility Management Alliance. So I work a lot with the FMA, um, but definitely look towards the Netherlands in particular um, mm. for what they're doing over there, um, and FM space and the degrees they have coming out of it. Uh, in New Zealand, we only have a graduate diploma and diploma in FM currently. Um, there's some add-ons to the AUT course and also uh, Victoria. In, in Wellington mm. um, but yeah it's really about professionalising the industry and definitely having those FM specific qualifications that are coming through now is certainly going to help that you know I've spoken to uh, a young woman who's come out of a QS degree uh, down in Otago that's come into facilities and absolutely loving it and wow. so, you know she's saying all her friends are jealous because she loves her job so much and they've come out of similar uh, similar degrees yeah. and, and in roles that they're not loving as much so it's really it's really inspiring for me to hear people like that and of course the increased diversity we need in the industry as well mm. so to hear young women being very comfortable and inspired and loving what they do is, is certainly great for me to hear mm. Mm. 
This episode is proudly sponsored by Jib Plasterboard, your local plasterboard manufacturer. Jib Plasterboard offers a wide range of training programs and technical help for lining installation, fire resistance performance, noise control, wet area systems, and rigid air barrier solutions. Please call the Jib Helpline team on 0800 100 442 for technical support or register for a training session at jib.co.nz slash training and events. Um, Nick, with respect to technology, um, like, what's your view on things like BIM? Um, uh, construction companies are getting more and more involved in BIM and, and also not necessarily creating their own models, but sort of um, informing how consultants put their information together. Have you got any examples of what you're doing now um, in the construction side around digital technology? Yeah, so not, I haven't really worked much with BIM, but obviously looked at BIM models and, and that obviously giving you a 3D perspective of things makes things a lot easier when you're looking at details and, and all of that. Um, however, there is integration with BIM modeling and uh, camera software that we're using at the moment right. on our sites, which is um, Open Space 360. Yep. So that's where um, you take a camera, you put it on your head, on your hard hat, and you walk around site, and it's actually taking, I think, a photo every 0.04 of a second, and it's busy capturing photographic evidence of what's being or what's behind the walls, and so that you can always refer back to certain things that have been closed up like say 10 years down the line um, something's wrong with the building or that you've got a leaky building or whatever and you've got that video footage or photographic evidence of actually guys we did do it right um, and something else has gone wrong so and that open space 360 integrates with um, the likes of uh, BIM and software products like Procore um, which is working really well. I think you know from I, I imagine Joe that like and I, I can I can think right now of many cases in which I wish I had that information um, because you know I guess the problem with buildings is they are physical objects and they're quite complex systems, quite complex assemblies, and so having you know even just a, a video of how a wall went together, for mm. example, can save so much for the client, so much for the for the contractor. And I actually think that's a really interesting and, and um, really responsible thing for Calmar to be doing. I imagine that video could travel down the line to the client in 10 years time when something has to be um, upgraded or 15 years after the warranty needs to be repainted or uh, something needs to be installed into a you know acoustic wall then you've got that data there which is 100%. pretty interesting yeah so it seems like there could be opportunities for people um, younger people interested in technology interested in, in um, videography gaming engines all those kind of things can come and kind of apply that knowledge and then pick up where Joe is in terms of that the other end and understand the asset as a digital asset as much as a physical asset. I guess, what are you excited about, Joe? Like, are you seeing something that you think is almost like a killer app here? Can you sort of see? <laughs> I wish I'd be kind of inventing it myself, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there's a, we've got a long way to go to be able to utilize digital and data in the right way. You know, mm. it's one thing collecting all this data, but it's making sure we're using it and mm. we're collecting the right data. Mm. And I think there's uh, the trust people have in the data that you've got in front of them as well. Because, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's still taking a human to walk around site. Mm. Yep. And it's, yeah, that human factor, mm. which 
things can go wrong. I can replace it with a robot thing. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting. Massive opportunity for change, you know, if you look at trying to create efficiency uh, in the industry, you know, FM in particular, you know, we've all been out, you know, the teams have been out supporting the clean-up after cyclones, right. and, you know, they're getting called, called out in the middle of the night, you know, all day, so everyone's scrambling just to get by, so yeah. I think definitely digital is an opportunity uh, to get more effective in what we're doing. It's huge, and it, it's really just doing it in the right way. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's the point, Joe. I mean, you've, you've been involved in so many aspects mm. of this industry. My, my personal view is that um, anyone who wants to kind of innovate this space, there's so many things to look at. There's almost kind of like a sport for choice. I mean, you've been involved with the supply side and the technical sales side and, and the industry side, institute side. Um, I guess what are some of the things you'd like to see change that you've that you observed but you can't currently get to? Because, of course, you're very busy with it. <laughs> What's the greatest change I want to see? You're definitely, obviously, in inclusivity across, yeah. and not just uh, female inclusivity across everything. I do think we will get better outcomes uh, when you've got different people across the table that think differently and come from different backgrounds to mm. solve problems. Uh, massive opportunity for the building industry. We're getting better, absolutely, uh, compared to when I first uh, walked in the door. Uh, 30 odd years ago um, and some of the challenges I faced uh, sometimes I get a bit jealous of some of the young women coming through the industry now with, uh, with a lot more support yeah. um, so you know definitely uh, from that point of view and I think putting some stuff into action and not being scared I think we're very risk averse so yeah. for the industry as a whole just to be, be a bit bolder um, and more mature and, and bold in our approach and, and, and take a risk yeah. Although I know it's hard, there's so many moving parts um, and you're getting more people at the table to make some of these decisions and the collaboration, particularly from an industry uh, point of view, having worked in a couple of different industry organisations and it's one thing I'm really trying to foster, um, the facilities management, they make sure we're working with everyone. New Zealand is too small that we're all talking or, or giving different information. You know, mm. we've all got cross sections across the industry talking to people and it's no good if we're all saying a different thing or believing a different thing mm. is correct. So I'd really like to see some more alignment uh, in how we all work together as well. I think back in, when I was at the Green Building Council, I think I was told there was 146 different industry organisations in the built environment in New Zealand. Mm. Um, so I think it's really it's a lot important. of different pages to be yeah. on. <laughs> and we all want the best for the industry. Ultimately, I think people in this industry care about this industry deeply, and we all want the best outcome yeah. for the industry and for the buildings. We're all in the industry because we love creating stuff and, and seeing buildings being built and yeah. and you know creating a, a beautiful built environment that mm. everyone gets to enjoy. So. hundred percent. I think there's a you know you do get the bug, and you mm. do. And I find it very hard to think of doing anything outside of you know physical mm. buildings and things like that. Um, so I do agree and, and probably from your perspective you've, you've got that kind of holistic mm. perspective because you can sort of see the, the, the industry in the round you, you get to see to deal with the finished objects and mm. the finished buildings. Nick, um, you're at a point now where you're probably starting to mentor younger people coming through um, and look after new entrants into the, into the industry. What are you, what are you finding um, people are, are interested in doing when they come into the space? Well, I think uh, like a lot of people obviously are coming into the construction industry, they're doing it for a reason yeah. because it excites them and that's similar to what it did for me. I guess being driven and, and motivated on a day-to-day -day basis can be tough in, in construction because it is a stressful industry to be, mm. but just really putting your best foot forward and, and really getting stuck into like attention to detail and, and really thinking about like what you want to achieve on a day-to-day -day basis and then also looking at the bigger picture. Because mm -hmm. um, sometimes you can obviously be involved in, say, earthworks, 
right at the beginning of the project, but and then you don't really see what it's going to be. Hmm. But at the end of the job, you look back and you see this beautiful building, and you think to yourself, "Oh wow, I was actually involved, and that was a great outcome." Um, so, really, just motivating people and and getting that drive out of them is really key, hmm. and just showing them that like if they do work hard, they're going to achieve success. Um, I, like, I can't think of many other industries where you know ten fit you contributed to, and yeah. and someone else is enjoying it. And you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of um, kind of pride that comes from comes from that. One hundred percent. Like, still, I remember the first oh, the first job that I worked on was Sugar Tree Stage Two in in the city, mm. and still to this day, every time I drive past that building, whoever's in the car, I'm like, oh, oh I was I was a part of that. <laughs> So yes, it's it's, and that excites me. And I've added a, a few more buildings to my resume. And probably one day when I do have kids and, and a family and everything, I'll be driving past that building and saying that was the first building I was involved in. So no, it's it, and you can probably see the smile on my face right now. It's exciting, and 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 there's many more buildings for me to build or be a part of, which it's, is... It was really scary. I studied the building of Starship Hospital, the Children's Hospital, <laughs> and AutoCAD Vision 1. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still sounds, Sugar tree. Yeah. I was just what used to to me. <laughs> yeah, that, I, mean, that goes, I mean, that sort of, I guess, suggests the pace of change as well, because, you know, I, again, when I first studied architecture, it was... Um, we were being um, taught this magic new thing called CAD at the mm -hmm. time, and um, yeah, and, and right now you can sort of see the capability is quite quite impressive, yeah. and that's just one aspect of technology that mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Have you got any advice for young people coming to the industry, like, or maybe something that you didn't think was was um, was going to happen, or did, didn't think that um, you know construction industry could offer a certain sort of set of opportunities. Yeah, so obviously studying is one thing mm. um, and getting that theor theoretical knowledge mm. of, of the industry and, and what the day-to-day -day basis or studies could be. Um, but really, work, like finding holiday work through your studies, I think that's quite key because you actually learn the practical side and you can put the theory and practical together and then it starts making a bit of sense. Yeah. Um, it can be quite daunting coming straight out of university and onto a construction site and all of a sudden all that theories gone <laughs> because what happens on a construction site is completely different to what happens in the classroom mm. um, so really just getting involved as early as possible really like when you start on site you're obviously not going to be necessarily involved in like the day-to-day -day running of the site but really getting involved with uh, in my role like getting involved with the tradesmen and understanding what why they're doing certain things on on the day-to-day -day. and again getting stuck into the attention to detail and and listening mm. because at, at, when you start you're learning each day so mm. and just absorbing all that information and then start and also start finding people that you want to learn from and and gain your own experience that way mm. I think um, I think it's really interesting that listening point because we all have a part to play and, and no one actually owns the entire answer so um, to kind of figure out you know, the best thing you can do for a building or for a client really uh, or for whoever's going to occupy the building you know you do have to learn from others and, and and there's so much to learn which is which is great so anybody who's curious about this space there's mm -hmm. you, you can get your curiosity you know exactly. really um, almost weaponized you know to, to a degree because you, you're always constantly learning something even um, myself after 20 plus years 
they're still learning new things every day, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and no matter what your role is at the end of the day, you're as important as the highest person or the project manager More or the contract. <laughs> if, yeah, no matter who you are on that site, you are as important as everybody else. Yeah. And as long as you know that, I think you'll do well. Yeah. Look, lastly, Joe, I mm. think um, you know, you're, you're now in a position in which you can actually have quite a lot of influence over time over what our buildings look like in the future. What are you excited about? Um, what do you see in five years' time? What do you hope to accomplish? How are you looking to direct the efforts in, in terms of building and design and product? I think it's that cohesive approach to buildings and, and understanding and putting the end users of the buildings first yep. and some of that better decision making up front. Not that it's bad at the moment, but you know, just greater decision making that's going to better sustainable outcomes, uh, better outcomes for the occupants of the building in the future. There is phenomenal young talent out there hmm. um, and it's harnessing it in the right way and, uh, and bringing people along. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and I just think, yeah, you're learning every day. And I think, think for young people well, too, yeah. yeah. I'm sure you every job every I've had is different, but it brings a different approach. So just because you're in one role doesn't mean, you know, no career is a linear. Mm. And just because you're in a role at the time. And, you know, I've had roles that I've hated for six months before I've actually got to enjoy it. So it's getting over that first stage when you're learning something new. Yeah. Uh, just to, to keep going. And don't think that learning is going to channel you into one role because what you learn in one role is so relevant to everything yeah. else. Yeah, it's transferable, right? And I think that's the opportunity is like, um, you know, having an architecture background, I've worked in construction, I've worked in property development, I've worked in uh, off-site manufacturing, and, and you're able to kind of like, you know, almost pick your own path to a large degree through this space. So I think that's really, really important. And get out and meet people. Some of the best thing for my career is actually turning up to stuff and meeting mm. people and talking to people and being curious. Mm. So um, definitely building networks for people to talk to that will inspire you. Um, and, and open doors in other areas yeah. is hugely important. And it's not LinkedIn, it's not social media, you've got to do it in real yeah, life. Yeah, go, go in person. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah, it is one of the more daunting things to do. Like, mm. I sometimes find it a bit daunting mm. to go out there and put myself out there and mm. speak to older people and mm. professionals in, in the industry. But yeah, going out and doing it's definitely something you need to do. Yeah, and I think, you know, probably speaking as, a, as an introvert here, like the idea that you go to a networking mm -hmm. event and, and there's lots of people there can be, can be quite daunting, but actually what I just did, I was, normally I just maybe focus on talking to one or two people and, and having a good quality conversation rather than uh, many, many conversations. And so I think, um, you know, one thing we've been talking about is the idea that relationships in this space persist over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So, look, um, thank you very much. It's been really awesome mm -hmm. advice. Thank you. And, yeah, pleasure to meet you. Yeah, you Thanks very much, Joe. Kia ora. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for listening to Tall Stories, Tales from the Built Environment, a podcast series by the New Zealand Institute of Building. <laughs> <laughs>